How are you? You good? I have a question. I guess I always have a question, but I have a question. How's your memory? How many times do you need to hear somebody's name before you actually remember it? How many times do you have to hear a song or sing a song before you know the lyrics from memory? Here's one. How many times do you need to read a verse in the Bible before you can quote it from memory? For example, can anyone from memory quote John 11.35? You don't count, Glenn. Would you like me to quote it for you from memory to show you what I can do? John 11.35, Jesus wept. That's it. Pretty good. That's about my limit right there. The, most of the verses in the Bible are a little longer than that. Does anybody remember what the first question was I asked when I came up? What was it? How's your memory? Yes, good. Most of you, actually a few of you got that. Well, listen, today our passage is all about remembering. Remembering what God has said. Said about what? Our passage is telling us we need to remember what God has said about something rather important, about Jesus coming back to gather us to himself and the end of the world. We need to remember. Let's pray together. Father, before we open your word, we just thank you that you've given us your word. You've written it down for us because we have trouble remembering. But Father, this is such a powerful place in scripture because you are telling us our future. You are showing us what is yet to come. And I pray we give you our full attention. This is a wonderful day to be in your house. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And while you're turning there, I think you're already aware, if you've been seeing the bulletins, that next week, next weekend, uh, the Pastor Drew and his family will be here with us in church. So... I don't think I've shared with you, um, I, I actually met Pastor Drew for the first time on my cell phone. I was asked to watch his, one of his messages, so I grabbed one of his sermons and I watched it. I was out of town, I was in a hotel room, so I watched his message on my, my little screen. So it was a little screen, but a big impact on my life. This young man, he's young compared to me, so he's, he's a very young man, just teaches God's word from his heart. That's what captivated me. It was like every word he said sounded like somebody who has lived his whole life trusting the word of God and believing what God says. And he didn't seem to be preaching from his head at all. He seemed to just be flowing out of his heart. And that just grabbed my attention and blessed me. So I think you're going to really enjoy him. I spoke to him on the phone a short time after that, and we talked for about a half an hour. Um, And I had to tell him a couple of times because he is a young man. But he's got such a maturity in Christ. It just, it's like, are you sure you're only that old? I mean, man, you just sound like... You, and, but yeah, he, he is just mature in his faith in Christ. He's walked with the Lord his whole life. And he loves God and he loves God's people. So he, is, he and his family are going to be a gift from God to our church. So I'm really looking forward to them. They'll be here next week. Uh, also next week on Saturday, a week from yesterday, uh, we're having a celebration service for our brother Wade Henry. Just about everybody knew Wade. He greeted at first service. Uh, Wade and his wife Jane were in my community group for at least 12 years. And um, 
He is with the Lord Jesus right now. But I miss him. I know you miss him. And we're going to just celebrate his life. I have more to say about Wade, but I'll save it for the service next week. But if you can, uh, we'll be meeting here next week. Okay, last week, Pastor Mark. Remember Pastor Mark? He began the service, the service by reminding us that the Lord always does things according to his timing, to God's timing, not our timing. You remember him saying that? God always does things according to his timing, not ours. And you know what? Here's, here's a fact of life for you and me. If, or hopefully when, you and I finally get comfortable with God's timing, it removes a great deal of anxiety from our life. You just wait for God to work, and you're okay with that. Pastor Mark also showed us that God is really loving and kind because God tells us in his word how things are going to go for us, how things are going to turn out. Mark said, knowing our future is incredibly helpful in navigating our present. Remember that? Knowing the future is really, really helpful in us navigating our present. Okay, but there's a problem with that that we see in our passage today because in our passage, the Thessalonians were looking forward to the future. They were looking forward to the Lord's return. However, they had forgotten what Paul had taught them about the Lord's return. And that was bad for them because their misunderstanding of the future was severely impacting how they were navigating their present. So if we misunderstand the future, it does impact and affect negatively how we navigate our present. The Thessalonians were out of step with God. They were out of step with God. That is a miserable place to be. But Paul is going to address their error right now. So let's read together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. We read from the New American Standard. There's one in front of you. I read from the New American Standard ginormous print version. It is by far the heaviest Bible I have ever owned. So five verses are my limit or I'll have to set the Bible down to read it. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Paul wants the Thessalonians to remember what he taught them about the Lord's coming. Now, we don't know all that he taught them because he's not telling us everything he taught them, but we can clearly see that he taught them that Jesus' return would come according to God's plan and there would be a certain order of events that must be followed. That part, at least, is clear to us. Unfortunately, the Thessalonians forgot some of what Paul taught them, so they were getting things out of order. They were getting things out of order. Getting things out of order reminded me of an episode I saw years ago in the TV show MASH. Do you remember the MASH TV series that was on from like 1972 to 1983? Well, there was this funny episode where uh, the doctors, Hawkeye and Trapper John, had to disarm a bomb that had landed in the middle of the hospital compound. Their commanding officer, Colonel Blake, 
was a safe distance away in a foxhole with a bullhorn, and he was reading the army manual, giving them step-by-step -step directions for how to dis defuse the bomb. Colonel, the colonel reads, carefully, carefully cut the wire to the fuse. And the doctors cut the wire. Then Colonel Blake turns the page of the manual and reads, but first, remove the fuse. At this point, all the doctors can do is dive to the ground, and the bomb does indeed explode, but instead of a deadly boom, it was just full of propaganda leaflets that shot into the air. But this episode of MASH, just like our passage, shows us that we get into trouble when we get things out of order. When you get things out of order, bad things happen. Paul wants his readers, this means you and me too, we're reading, to understand just some of the key events concerning the Lord's return because when we understand the events, we will not get confused or discouraged by false information. Now we know, we all know this, God has not told us everything we'd like to know about the return of Christ. He, he, in his wisdom, he's decided not to tell us everything we'd like to know. But he has certainly told us everything we need to know. And our passage today tells us three key things that we need to know about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And here are the three things this passage tells us beyond mistake. First fact, Jesus is coming back to gather us to himself. The Lord Jesus is coming back to gather us to himself. Second, there will be all kinds of false teaching, false information about this. I think we know that to be true. And third thing, we must remember what God has said so we don't get fooled, so we don't get misled, so we don't get confused. You need to remember what God has said. Whatever uncertainty, whatever uncertainty we have about exactly when Jesus is coming back, whatever confusion we have, or even whatever mistakes we make about the return of Jesus, the fact remains that his return is certain. It's going to happen. God wants his people, God wants his children in every generation to live expecting the Lord Jesus to come back at any moment. That's how God wants us to live. Why does God want us to live like that? Well, not so that we sell all our goods and go sit on top of a mountain and wait for Jesus to come back. And not so that we just spend countless hours trying to speculate and calculate the exact day and hour that Jesus is indeed coming back. No, God wants us to expect the Lord to return so that we use our time to the fullest. When our Lord Jesus comes back, we want him to find us faithfully doing everything, everything he called us to do. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, he's going to accomplish two key things. When Jesus comes back, he's going to accomplish two key things. First, he's going to gather his people to himself. And then, he's going to judge the world for their sin. Paul focuses on that first key aspect of the Lord's return, his gathering us to himself. Let's, so let's look at verse 1. This is fantastic. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. Our gathering together to him refers to a future glorious event yet to come. We call it the rapture of the church. Jesus is, Jesus is rap, gathering us to himself. This rapture is not a metaphor. It's not a figure of speech. It's a real event that is going to happen in the future. Let's turn back. We're in 2 Thessalonians. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians just for a minute to chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. We've looked at this together ourselves before, but worth repeating. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, Paul writes, For the Lord himself 
will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together, will be gathered together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Let me ask you this. Think about this with me. Where is the best place you've ever been on earth? Where is the greatest place, most beautiful place, most awesome place you've ever seen, you've ever traveled to? Where is that? Whatever you're picturing in your mind cannot compare, cannot compare to the appointment you and I have to meet Jesus in the sky. Look what Jesus said about this event. John 14, 1 to 3. Uh, this one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. If or since I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, which means gathers you, gather you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Brothers and sisters, think about this. The moment you and I trusted in Christ, our future destiny was sealed and secured. The moment we trusted in Christ, your name and my name was written down on Jesus' list for who he's going to invite to his party in the sky. We all have our own unique past, but we all have one spectacular shared future. One day, Jesus is coming back to gather you and me to him. On that day, Jesus will present us to the Father as holy and blameless. We will be washed clean by the blood that we trust by faith. Our future is guaranteed. We will be forever with Christ, forever together, and forever happy in his presence. We are not told exactly when that day will come, but we are told that day indeed will come. It's worth smiling about this, you guys. This is going to be the best news you're going to hear today. It's important to notice, too, in verse 1. Look how Paul begins verse 1. He writes, Now we request you, brethren. Brethren is a way of saying, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, he's saying I want to ask you something, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is speaking like a loving pastor who needs to gently and delicately correct a mistake that the Thessalonians are making. There's an important lesson in here for you and me. Whenever we find ourselves needing to correct somebody's mistake, the best way to approach that person is not with impatience and annoyance, although that comes very natural, I think. When somebody's made a mistake, we are not to approach them with impatience and annoyance, but with gentleness, with love, and with respect, just like Paul here. The Thessalonians were confused about the Lord's return. Can we blame them? I think if we're honest, we probably have some confusion about all the details of the Lord's return ourselves. But there's more to the story. We have to remember what was going on in the lives of the Thessalonian church. So let's, we're in chapter 2. Look back at chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. We covered this two weeks ago with Pastor Mark. But just to remind ourselves, here's what's going on in their church. Paul writes, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance in faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Yikes! The Thessalonians were dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. 
They were being persecuted. They were being afflicted. Affliction means pain, distress. Life for the Thessalonians was very, very hard, very, very difficult. Let me ask you this. When life gets hard for you, when life gets hard for me, do we always remember what God has said when we're going through difficult times? Difficult circumstances can be really distracting because it's so much easier for us to focus on the circumstances than on the truth of God. And when we're going through deep waters, our emotions can really get the best of us. And when we are losing it emotionally, we make ourselves very vulnerable for outside influences to come in and perhaps lead us astray. The Thessalonians were going through deep waters and someone or maybe a group of people in their church were leading them further away from God's truth. When you and I are going through tough times, and I'm sure in a room of this size, all of us know somebody in this room that's going through something difficult. When we're going through tough times, we need each other. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and lead us to the truth, not away from it. Let's read verse 1 and then into verse 2. Paul says, now we request you, brethren, we request you, dear brothers and sisters, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. We just read a moment ago in chapter 1, verse 4, that Paul praised the Thessalonians for their perseverance in the faith. But now... Now he has to express a real concern he has. He writes, please don't be quickly shaken. The Greek word Paul uses for shaken describes a ship being tossed by the waves in the sea. Do you ever feel like this in your life? Do you ever feel like a ship in a storm? What makes life storms really difficult is in the storm where we get hit by waves of misinformation and we get hit by waves of wrong thinking. Paul's saying, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't, please, don't get overwhelmed by waves of human opinion. Seek, seek the calm waters of God's word. Drop anchor there. Drop anchor in the calm waters of God's word and hold tight to the truth. There is a port for us. There is a calmness that we find in the truth of God's word when we're in the storm. We all know that to be true. Human opinion and false teaching can really unsettle our minds because if we're honest, often our minds are as unstable as water. You ever feel like your mind is unstable as water? Just, boy, you just go, it spins, you don't know. We see here a very important life principle for you and for me. And here's the principle. We go wrong. We go wrong when we get God's word wrong. We do. We go wrong when we get God's word wrong. A one commentary said it this way. Matthew Henry said, Errors in the mind tend greatly to weaken our faith. That's a powerful statement. Errors in the mind. Mistakes that we think about tend to greatly weaken our faith. Wrong thinking, wrong thinking lives to wrong living, leads to weak living. For our faith to grow, we have to live on a steady diet of God's word, not the empty filler of human speculation. 
We need the meat of God's word. We need the truth of God's word in our life. We do, not the empty filler of speculation of all the opinions around us. The the Thessalonians had not forgotten all of Paul's teaching. They just forgot some of it. But it doesn't take much, does it, for us to become confused in our minds and our hearts to get into a turmoil. I hope, I hope that each one of us has a Paul in our life, somebody that loves us so much that he or she will come alongside us when we're going through tough times. Maybe we're a little off course, and they will just gently turn us back to God's truth when we are suffering from misinformation poisoning. Misinformation poisoning. It broke Paul's heart that this beloved church was shaken and disturbed. The word disturbed describes people who are agitated and alarmed. They were in a panic. They were panicking. What were they panicking about? Verse 2 tells us that they were afraid that their persecutions, their suffering, their afflictions meant that the day of the Lord had come. What's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is God's final judgment. It's also called the Great Tribulation. This is the period where the Lord pours out his judgment upon the earth after. It comes after the Lord takes all the people up into the clouds with Jesus. So someone was apparently telling the Thessalonians, hey, you know all that difficult stuff you're going through? That's not just tribulation. That's the tribulation. God's pouring out his anger on you. You've missed the rapture. You missed your appointment with Jesus in the sky. What a terrifying thought. What a terrifying thought. By the way, do you know, do you know why it's absolutely impossible for us to miss our appointment with Jesus? Why is it impossible, absolutely impossible for us to miss our appointment with Jesus? The Bible tells us why. Because we're not holding on to the reservation. Jesus is, and nothing is taken ever out of his hands. I guarantee you, if I had that reservation in my hand, I'd leave it somewhere that I didn't mean to leave it, and I wouldn't know where to find it when the time came. Our reservation is in the Lord's hand, not ours. Praise God for that. Paul tells us that the Thessalonians were being misled three different ways. You see that in verse 2? That he said, I wish you would not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by either a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. A spirit most likely means there was a false teacher. There was a false prophet in their midst, and he was claiming to have some new special revelation, some new special supernatural connection to God. The word message means that false teacher was teaching or preaching some word to them. And a letter as if from us means that perhaps this false teacher was even waving a letter around that he said, look, here, Paul validates everything I'm saying. The problem was that letter wasn't from Paul. It was a forgery. Let's turn ahead. You're in chapter 2. Look ahead to chapter 3, verse 17 of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor Mark will be getting to this very soon, but this is just kind of fun because Paul responds to this point at the end of his letter. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.17, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. This is so great. Scholars believe that Paul probably dictated most of his letters, but it was his custom at the end of every letter to take the pen in his hand and write a final greeting and maybe even sign his name. And he's saying to the people of the church, hey, from now on, this is how I write. Always look for this. If it's a genuine Pauline letter, it's going to have my handwriting. Look for my genuine handwriting. Verse 2 has a very clear warning for you and me. God's word is telling us we have to be on our guard all the time because there are people laying in wait for us. They're just waiting to try to mislead us any way they can. 
false teachers, false teachers never have the courtesy of walking up to us and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to lie to you now. I've got a lot of baloney I'm going to give you, and I'm going to pretend like it's the truth. They don't do that. False teachers, what they do instead is they come up and they go, oh, you know, I have a special connection to God. I have a new revelation. Or they just subtly misinterpret or subtly twist scripture. Or they tell us, hey, you know, I've got the word of God, but it's just their own word, not the word of God. It's a forgery. We have to understand, Satan cannot steal our salvation. He cannot get his hands on our salvation, but he can sure send people to us all day long to mislead us if he can. Because Satan wants us to live a life of confusion and failure, not a life full of victory and faith that we have in the Lord. Well, maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know the difference between truth and lie? How do I, how do I spot the difference? King David prayed an amazing prayer in 2 Samuel. Let's look at this, just one verse it's so beautiful. Look at he prayed. He said, now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words, your words are truth. We can trust every word God says. Isn't that great? We can trust every single word that God says. This means, though, there's a warning to this. We can trust every word that God says. But this means when you hear somebody like me standing up here talking, or you hear somebody on the radio or on TV, or you read a book or an article, or even somebody comes alongside you to give you spiritual counseling, we can't just believe whatever they say. We have to open our Bibles. We have to go back to the truth of God's Word. And if God's Word validates what they told us, great, embrace that. But if God's Word does not validate what they're telling us, we absolutely must reject that as false. We need to study our Bibles so we know the truth and we can spot a lie. It's an old saying, you've heard it before, but the best way to spot the counterfeit is to know the genuine article. That's how we'll know. When we know the truth, we'll see the lie coming. Starting in verse 3, Paul reminds his readers of a few things he taught them about the return of Christ. Paul is not going to review everything he taught them. He's just going to give them just a few facts to kind of reboot their memory, to get them back on the path of truth, not error. Let's read verses 3 and 4 together. He writes, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, it means the day of the Lord, the time of judgment or great tribulation. He says, It, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. We have to remember the Thessalonians were in distress because they were being told that their present tribulations meant they were in the great tribulation. They had missed the rapture. Paul wants to reassure them, no, no, no. The day of the Lord, the great tribulation cannot happen and could not have happened because the apostasy hasn't happened yet. The apostasy must happen first. Well, good, we settled that. But what is the apostasy? The word apostasy in the Greek means defiance. It means defiance. It means rebellion. It means abandonment. And in the context of Paul's letter, it means a rebellion, the rebellion against God. Paul is not talking about mankind's ongoing rebellion against God. We know that men, men and women have been rebelling against God since the Garden of Eden, and we certainly see that going on today. Paul's not talking about this general universal rebellion. He's speaking about a future supreme act of rebellion, an event of final magnitude that's called the apostasy. 
Jesus called it the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, and Daniel called it that in Daniel 11. And the key to identifying the apostasy, this event, is identifying the key person involved. Paul calls this person the man of lawlessness, or the man of sin, the son of destruction. He is also known as the Antichrist. The apostasy occurs when this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, demands for the whole world to worship him, and it will. This Antichrist will establish his own religion that forbids worshiping anything or anyone other than himself. And that apostasy hasn't happened yet. So when we take our four verses together, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4, we see that Paul is saying the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, cannot happen until two very important things happen. One, Jesus is going to come back and gather us to himself, and then the apostasy will occur. Clearly, the Thessalonians were expecting Jesus to come back first. Otherwise, if they thought Jesus was coming at the end of the tribulation, they'd be excited. Oh, great, we're in the tribulation. Jesus is coming back any moment. But no, they were afraid they missed it. So first, Jesus comes to gather us to himself. Then the apostasy comes. Paul has more to say about the Antichrist, but that's in the next few verses, which Paul, Pastor Mark is going to cover. So come back next week. Okay, let's read verse 5. It's very special. Verse 5, he writes... Do you not remember that I, while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Paul is referring to the time he was with the Thessalonians when he planted this church. He was with them for a few weeks, and obviously he taught them a lot about the second coming of Christ. Okay, if you're like me, this would be easy to overlook this verse, right? Because it just seems like a, like a very kind of common verse. Paul writes, hey guys, don't you remember I told you all this stuff? Well, oh yeah, great. We turned the No. Let's look. Let's look more closely because this word remember that he says, don't, do you not remember? Word remember is a very key word for you and me. The word remember and variations on the word remember appear over 500 times in the Bible. Over 500 times remember, we are told. To remember something is important to us because what we remember, we act upon. Whatever we remember, we act upon. Our memory gives us directions all day long. For example, let's say we want to go to the grocery store. If we're going to go to the grocery store, if we're on our game, if we're having a good day, our memory actually quickly reminds us where we put our car keys. Step one. Then we drive to the store, and as we're going to the store, our memory reminds us how to get there. Go straight, turn left, turn right. Here's a shortcut, go. Then when we're in the store, before we get in the checkout line, our memory reminds us of something we forgot to get. So we go get that and then get in line. But sometimes our memory waits till we get home to remind us of something we forgot to buy. But in the Bible, God tells us all the time to remember his words because what we remember, we act upon. So God says, remember his word. Act upon his word. Obey his word. Why? Because remembering God's word is the only way that we find peace. It's the only way we find joy. It is the only way we find hope. And it is the only way we find victory, by remembering and acting upon God's word. So God tells us over 500 times to remember what he's told us. This is actually a huge compliment from the Lord. He only told us 500 times. If your memory is anything like my memory, God should have told us 500,000 times to remember. But he's only told us 500 times. By the way, I found a picture. This is a picture of what my memory looks like. Maybe yours too. I don't know. This is actually it. That's what my memory looks like. I, I don't know about you, but as I've gotten a little older, my mind has become more and more like the Bermuda Triangle. It's like things go in, 
and you never find them again. They're just gone. As someone once said, if my memory was any worse, I could plan my own surprise party. I get that. You know, it's understandable. Don't you think? It's understandable we might forget somebody's name or maybe even forget an anniversary or a birthday of someone. Maybe forget the words of a song. But why would you and I ever forget anything God said? Why would we forget what our Lord that we love so much? Why would we ever forget anything that he has said to us? Well, we have a problem, you and me. Our problem is our human attention span. When God speaks to us, like in church, has this ever happened to you? Are you ever sitting in church and, and Pastor Mark says something wonderful and, and you read something in Scripture and you go, wow, that's fantastic, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Wait, Lord, what was that again? It's gone. You want to see something interesting and also embarrassing about us? Of course you do. Look at this. January 2018, according to a study by Microsoft, the average human being now has an attention span of eight seconds. This is a sharp decrease from the average attention span of 12 seconds in the year 2000. Makes you proud, doesn't it? Our attention span is eight seconds long and shrinking. Just for comparison, just for comparison, the average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. I'm really not sure how they know what a goldfish is thinking, but I found the statistic online, so I'm just reporting it to you. Our attention span can keep us focused for a whopping eight seconds. No wonder our mind wanders in church. Our church service lasts over 60 minutes. So I did the math. Our church service lasts over 3,600 3, seconds. That's 450 times longer than our eight-second attention span can handle. The Microsoft study went on to conclude that technology is the major cause for this memory shrinkage. We are finding it more and more difficult to filter out all the irrelevant information that's bombarding us all the time. We, you know, somebody might say, what state do you live in? And maybe we say California, but if we want to be honest, we should all say we live in the state of never-ending information overload. That's what state we live in. So all we can do, if we're good, is give something our attention for eight seconds. Eight seconds, and then we move on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next. So even when our Lord and our God speaks to us, we struggle. We struggle a lot to pay attention and remember. So brothers and sisters, we have an attention span that a goldfish would be ashamed of. If we're going to remember God's word, you and I, we're going to have to work at it. So how do we do that? Here are some suggestions. Do you ever put a reminder on your cell phone? Hey, remember tomorrow to call somebody. Remember on Friday I got a dentist appointment? Well, if you ever do that, have you ever put a scripture verse as a reminder on your cell phone? Maybe some of you already do that. Do you ever write things down? You have to remember something important. You write it down on a post-it note and you put it on the refrigerator or put it on your desktop. Here's an idea. Every one of us, for homework, let's go home today and write down one thing, one thing you want to remember about God. Put that on a post-it note. And put that post-it note somewhere where you will see it. And look at that post-it note every day this week and see how that changes your week. 
Let's commit to helping each other, remembering the things God has said and done. When we see each other for breakfast or after church or before church, yeah, we can, how's your week, all that? Let's remind each other what God has said and done. And we also need to all read our Bibles. We need to read the Word of God every day. We've got to make this a priority. We really do. We have to make this a priority. If we want to remember God's truth, we have to give God's truth a higher priority than all the other stuff that is clamoring for our attention. If the Thessalonians had remembered what Paul taught them, they wouldn't have been deceived. They wouldn't have been upset. They wouldn't have been in distress. You and I need to remember Paul's teaching too. I would imagine maybe no one here today is worried that they've missed the rapture and that we're in the great tribulation. Maybe nobody here is worried about that. But I imagine every single one of us is worried about something. Maybe more than one thing. Whatever you and I are worried about, God has spoken truth. God has spoken truth to us that will help us beyond our imagination if we remember what he said. We have to remember what he said. We're going to close our time today by looking at four other promises God has made to us. And they're going to come rather quickly. So if you want to remember them, you'll probably want to take a picture of them or write them down really quick. They're going to come. But I have to give you a fair warning, okay? Fair warning. It's going to take more than eight seconds to go through these four verses. So good luck with that. Good luck. First one. Ah. Joshua 1.9. My favorite. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a thing to remember. God is with us in the sunshine. God is with us in the storm. God is with us wherever we go and whatever we go through. God is with us. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. God is not only with us, but God goes before us. And God makes absolutely certain that every single thing he allows into your life and to my life is for good, even when we cannot possibly see how that is true. It is still true. God, all things work together for good. What a great promise to remember. There are times we just need to remember that God is in charge and it's going to be good. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him, to the Lord, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. D.L. Moody once said, if God is your partner, plan big. If God is your partner, make big plans. Not puny little plans. Make big plans. God answers prayer way beyond whatever we imagine. I have a very vivid imagination. God has already promised he can do so much more than my puny little imagination. Chuck Swindoll one time said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Say that again because it's so true. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. God answers prayer in unbelievable ways. There is no impossible situation with our God. And finally, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we finally come to realize who God is and what God can do, worry worry becomes pointless. Worry becomes pointless in prayer becomes potent. Our prayer team will be right over here after this service to pray with you if you need prayer for anything. Let me dismiss us or close us in prayer before the worship team comes up. Father, Father, please forgive us for our goldfish memories and attention spans. Forgive us for forgetting the truth that you've told us, things you've told us for our benefit, and we forget them so quickly. Lord, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the desire and give us the ability to make your words the highest priority in our lives. Help us become men and women that love your word and we remember your word and we act on your words. And Father, help each one of us to gently encourage each other to love and remember your words. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back to gather us to yourself. Surely, You are coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.